everyone, and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast. I'm Dave Baxter. I'm the funds editor on Asset Allocator's sister title, The Investor's Chronicle. And as ever, joining me today is Asset Allocator contributing editor, David Thorpe. David, how are you doing? It's been a while since we've uh, chatted. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Various holidays. One of us was in Holland and one of us was in Albania. Yep. I'll let you work out, the <laughs> listener, which one was which. Um, but yeah, lots of... Uh, Lots of uh, being being out of London in, in August was, was very nice. and uh, But we've come back to markets that are a bit eventful and a bit noisy. Yeah, so we've, uh, as you mentioned, we've had our um, perhaps slightly disparate cultural experiences over the summer. Um, but turning to what's going on with Asset Allocator um, in kind of recent weeks, the team has also um, done something quite special, put together a kind of sentiment indicator looking at how a set of different um, allocators are kind of feeling on subsectors markets asset classes and so on um, so perhaps should we delve into that as we get going again? absolutely as you say Dave I'm just the beautiful charismatic front man of asset allocator <laughs> the people in the uh, in the back office have been very busy and done an amazing job uh, where they have uh, been in touch with various of the uh, DFMs out there, including most of the uh, biggest players in the market, just to see what their sentiment is towards the various asset classes. And we will be revealing those in the newsletter in the coming weeks, but also here and now. Um, so overall sentiment towards equities is 43% neutral, 30% negative, 26% positive. What to make of those figures, I'd, I'd be curious to hear from you in a moment, Dave. But to unpack that a little bit further, it is a curiosity that within the equity markets, though sentiment is strongest towards the traditional value segments, uh, notably UK equity, uh, Japanese equity, European equity and Asian and emerging markets. So those are perhaps, uh, it's perhaps interesting that while US equities and particularly those big seven tech stocks have made most of the running this year, mm. actually when it comes to sentiment, it is almost every other market uh, where sentiment is stronger than it is towards the US, where just to complete the circle, US equities, the DFMs we spoke to, 47% negative, 38% neutral, and just 14% positive. And that 14% positive is the lowest of any of the equity uh, segments out there. Yeah, I mean, that's quite interesting. Perhaps there's a, a, a contrarian streak going on, or people are... Um, worried that the, uh, you know, that kind of seven stock driven rally is uh, perhaps heading, you know, going to gonna kind of ebb away or perhaps could turn into something a little bit nastier, um, perhaps if we do see more economic trouble ahead. Um, but turning back to, you mentioned uh, some of these kind of value markets that people have uh, for a long time not been especially keen on, perhaps have been noticeably hostile on, UK and Japan. Those are you know, pretty popular, at least if we look in the kind of sentiment monitor. Um, how is that kind of translating into how DFMs are positioned, I guess, if we look elsewhere in our main database? Sure. I mean, that is the curiosity, as you as you point out, because although Japan is the market with the strongest uh, positive sentiment towards it in the sentiment indicator, actually, the average exposure to 
Japanese equity funds in terms of what they're actually doing has fallen since the start of 2023 and is a meagre 3.2%. To wrap a little more context around that, the Japanese equity market has done well this year. So even if you hadn't bought any more, you know, you should be, your your, uh, weighting could be going up. So this presumably means people have been actively selling it and perhaps taking profits on the way up. Um, Whereas, and it's the same story with with the UK equities, 47% were, were positive, but the average exposure to UK equity funds among the DFMs we cover, and, and I mean, everyone in the sentiment index is, is also, every firm in the sentiment index is also in the uh, main database. Mm. Um, and the average exposure to UK equity funds in the balanced portfolio of the DFMs we monitor is 14%. And that's actually the lowest level since we began compiling this data. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, just throwing some, I suppose, more anecdotal asides into the mix, you know, whenever I've been speaking to allocators this year, one of the things they've been really, really, really keen to kind of uh, fly the flag for has been Japanese equities. As you mentioned that market's been running pretty hot this year. Um, if I glance at the topics um, at the time of kind of recording, that was up in sterling terms by something like 12.5% for the year. So they have to be quite aggressively taking profits. And, and you also do wonder, um, you know, these markets tend to naturally make up, I suppose, less of the average balanced portfolio than the likes of the US. To what extent would a DFM be willing to, I suppose, kind of stray beyond those usual bounds in order to, for example, you know, keep riding that Japanese rally or keep kind of capitalising on what they see as a, as a convincing recovery story. Absolutely. Uh, and then just, again, to, to finish that circle off, although uh, sentiment towards uh, US equities, uh, as, as mentioned, is... is pretty negative um the average exposure to uk to us equity funds excuse me is 14 percent, and that's broadly unchanged relative to a year ago now unchanged is interesting because it probably implies that the fms aren't piling into that market to buy those uh, famous seven stocks that have have driven it this year but nor are they they taking profits uh, on there mm. I, I suppose one interesting um counterpoint one potential contributing factor might be um you you've kind of recently highlighted that there has been a bit of a recovery or a bit of an uptick in the recovery in the popularity sorry of global funds mm-hmm. uh perhaps some dfms are thinking i'm using a global fund therefore with many of those options i'm already taking a big chunk of us exposure absolutely why do i need to add i don't know dedicated us funds as well uh, 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 absolutely um Absolutely, indeed. Um, and then we we looked at the, um, the the fixed income bucket as well. Uh, at the at the headline level, um, neutral again wins the day with forty three percent of the allocators we spoke to being neutral, uh, and only nineteen percent negative, which is uh, which is perhaps interesting given the given the the year and a bit that that bonds have had. Mm. But I suppose with with yields where they are. Um, with yields being where they are, maybe now is the entry point, and and that's reflected in terms of where the fixed income 
sentiment is strongest, which is um, government bonds, where 63% of the allocators we spoke to are positive on those. Mm. That's actually higher than, that's the highest net positive rating of anything that we measured, of any of the asset classes that we measured. So 63% are positive on government bonds, only 13% are negative. Look, I suppose if you can get 5% on a two-year US Treasury, yep. everything else kind of looks, you know, a little bit a little bit less less interesting. But to, to go through it, investment grade, 43% positive, which is broadly in line with what they think of the... Um, asset class as a whole but short duration bonds are 53% positive with nobody being negative on short duration bonds now maybe it's hard to be negative on something that gives you your money back in three months but um, Mm. what's interesting there is short duration bonds would be expected to do well in an environment where inflation persists rather than an environment where a recession becomes the main consideration so it certainly seems like People are happy to to sit in short duration. Although again, it might be a function of just the yield. The yield on offer for a very short yeah. period of time is is quite is quite tasty to use a technical market term. <laughs> um, Inflation linked bonds, which haven't had a wonderful time. Um, I have to say, I've had people try to explain to me loads of times how how linkers work, and I've never quite got there. But um, there's they're fifty um, percent are negative towards linkers. Um, which is the highest negative rating of any of the asset classes that we measured. So 50% negative towards linkers and only 16% positive. Mm. On um, short duration bonds, you just reminded me of the, there was an interesting note from uh, 24 Asset Management, the kind of fixed income specialist recently, making the case that um, short duration bonds might be kind of set to suffer because you know you you may for example for starters have an easing off of the kind of uh, horrible kind of rate rise cycle we've been in um so other things may look more interesting but also there's an interesting point that there now you might step into reinvestment risk where you've kind of you have these bonds maturing oh, and then yes. you're not going to be able to find the same bonds on those uh, tasty yields you mentioned to yes. use technical term again <laughs> um which brings me Let's uh, let's check this excellent segue onto something else you guys have been looking at um, in recent weeks. Uh, so strategic bond funds, extremely topical in the last 18 months or so. There have been some that have kind of got some calls wrong and it's been, you know, quite tricky to sort of dance around the different inflation expe- expectations and, and so on. But how are things now looking with those kind of flexible bond funds that, um, that the DFMs in, in our database tend to to be keen on sure yes yeah. so as, as you say last last year there was a, a, a bit of an exodus i think yeah. uh, it was attributed to um many of the strap bond guys getting their duration call wrong as in they were they were long duration in 2022 which was not the place to be um but we have seen a move back um back towards them at the moment the average balance portfolio has about 4.7% allocated to strap bond funds how does that compare with the recent past well it's a it's a full percentage point increase on where we were 6 months ago um so there's definitely been been a move um a definite move in that direction, and even if you go and if you go back 
um, sort of 15, 18 months ago, it's more like a 1.5% increase in allocation to strap bond funds. Now, look, bond markets are very choppy now. Who who really knows what's going to happen with inflation? Who really knows what's going to happen with interest rates? So perhaps we can forgive the wealth manager who says, you know what, <laughs> I'm, gi- I'm, I'm giving it to somebody else to, to make that call and then I can call them an idiot if I need to. Why not? <laughs> and if we look at the um, kind of popular names amongst the wealth managers that we, we follow, um, what are we now seeing in kind of positioning because I, I always think there's you know that's as I've definitely mentioned many times on this podcast that's quite an interesting sort of dividing line between the the options there are you know whether you're whether you're now kind of recession ready whether you're kind of big on duration or whether you're taking a different kind of approach sure so uh, yeah I mean look among the most popular um uh, strategic bond funds that we we cover, you've got you've got uh, you've got Ariel Belazel at Jupiter, who has been quite bearish on the global economic outlook for quite some time, and therefore has been has been long duration for quite some time, and that of course has meant that uh, that of course has has meant that he's had periods where he's been strongly. Uh, out of favour uh, in terms of performance, not not in terms of the uh, not in terms of the uh, the allocators we cover. They've they've certainly uh, they've certainly stuck with him. And the other one that's very popular is is Mike Riddle at Allianz Global Investors. Mm-hmm. And and I mean those two guys that they, they do take very different um, they take very different worldviews. I think it's it's fair to say that Mike would be somebody who. Um, Mike would be somebody who um, looks at the technicals a lot more than, I suppose you'd say, than the macros, um, whereas uh, Ariel's fund is very much, seems to be positioned around macro. So for the record, uh, Jupiter Strategic Bond run by Ariel Belezel is um, is owned by six of the allocators we cover, making it the jointly most popular one with Schroeder Strategic Credit. Now, Strategic Credit Fund is obviously a very different thing to a normal mm. strategic bond fund because it's in that sector; it can go anywhere. But actually, what it owns uh, is a lot of uh, is is it, well, what it's focused on is taking a lot more credit risk than um, than your than thinking about than thinking about duration. So yeah. that that's certainly where that's. Uh, that, that's certainly where that's been. And the Allianz Strategic Bond Fund that I mentioned, that's owned by five of the allocators we cover. Um, and it has had it, it had a very strong 2022 in terms of inflows uh, and in terms of the FMs buying it. But 2023 has been a little bit tougher. It's had, it's had a couple of DFMs head for the exit uh, on a net basis but those are the, the most um, popular ones so as I say it, it and, and they are at opposite ends of this but each of those three funds that I've mentioned do very different things the Jupiter fund very very macro focused very bearish Schroeder strategic credit uh, very much looks at the um, looks at the credit curve more than more than ju- the duration curve and Allianz are very much uh, about the fundamentals of yield curves and convexities 
and all of those very clever things that I don't understand. <laughs> and I suppose as um, as we do potentially see kind of rates peaking and um, maybe not falling, but at least staying steady, and bond yields potentially coming down, we should see you know interesting shifts in how those funds do. And also in the kind of sentiment that we discussed earlier, perhaps we'll see um, DFMs grow a little bit more uh, interested or positive on equities. Absolutely. Well, look, I think markets are kind of in a weird holding pattern at the moment where everybody's yeah. trying to figure out what happens to interest rates, what happens to inflation. Those questions can never be fully answered. But if they are, <laughs> if there is more clarity, if we do find out that the that the Fed or the Bank of England are not going to raise further from here that will definitely have a marked impact on sentiment and we we hope to do more work with the sentiment uh index in the uh months ahead yeah that'll be interesting to to keep an eye on well i'm afraid that is all we have time for um but davis thanks for your time good to catch up thank you yes uh absolutely it's good to be uh good to be back back in the horse uh and uh yeah thank you to everyone for listening take care I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy, and this is why I switched to Shopify. I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. With the drag and drop theme editor, we don't need to hire a developer to do any coding. Each theme is automatically optimized on mobile. It's incredible. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Go to shopify.com slash listen to take your business to the next level today. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.